I think God's calling all of us on an adventure. And I want to look specifically, even as a 20-year-old, he had enough humility to say, even in the midst of circumstances that look like maybe God isn't trustworthy, I'm going to sense that maybe even though I don't understand what happened in third grade, maybe I can keep believing there might be a God who has a plan for my life, even though it doesn't make sense what happened. He made sense as a 20-year-old to call mom and dad for money. Well, they all do that. But also to say, I want your advice, Dad. You have more experience, you have more wisdom than me. What are some of the things emulated in that story that can be true in our story as well? To do that, I want to look at two types of people. We got to see a lot of examples in Jonathan's life of the first group. I want to call this the live and learn people. Live and learn people don't stop believing certain things. But there's another group of people, and you've seen them, you've been them, I've been them, you've been to family reunions with them, and these are what I'll call deja vu people. These deja vu people do the same thing over and over and over, and they never learn from it. There's no lessons, there's no backdrop, there's no shifting. It's, and I've, I'm that person in many areas of my life now, and I don't want to be, but deja vu people, you have the same fight with your spouse over and over, and they say this, and you say this, and they say that, and you say that, and you both get mad at each other. The same interaction with your kids, and, and you don't learn, you don't change. They push your buttons, you push theirs. You know deja vu people who make the same bad financial decisions over and over, and they never seem to learn day after day, year after year, decade after decade. So how can we be more like the live and learn people? Live and learn people can not only learn from their own mistakes, their own circumstances, their own situations, as you saw in that story, but they can also learn from other people's mistakes and other people's problems. You see, live and learn people don't stop believing one fundamental truth. I don't yet know what I need to know to grow. I'm open to mistakes I'm making. I'm open to feedback. I'm open to people with more experience than me. I'm open with maybe there's a God outside of this universe I haven't tapped into. Live and learn people. Don't stop believing that I don't yet know what I need to know in order to grow. And because of that, the sky is the limit for them in success. The sky is the limit for them as far as where they can expand because they're open to feedback that lets them grow, to live and learn. Deja vu people... Well, they won't stop believing something. Typically it's a lie. Typically it's an untruth about themselves. And at the core of all of it is they won't stop believing that I already know everything I need to know. Like I said, you've raised these people. And your parents raised them as well. They, you know more than your parents. You know more than your boss. You know more than somebody. I already know everything I need to know here. And what happens is deja vu. They aren't able to live and learn. So there's a verse from the Bible. We're going to be looking at some ancient wisdom. And my hope is that you can find how ancient wisdom, as Jonathan found, can release you into finding ultimate purpose in your life. There's a passage in the book of Proverbs in the section of ancient wisdom been passed on for generations. It says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Meaning, whatever you do, you can talk yourself into saying it's a good idea. However, the Lord weighs your spirit, your intention, the reason why you do what you do. So commit your works, commit, set a course to the Lord. Why would I want to do that? Well, we'll get into that in a moment. And when you do that, as you saw in Jonathan's story, then your thoughts will be established or stable. 
Now, some Hebrew words here that kind of bring this to bear. It says, the, the word for all your ways is the roads or the courses or the decisions you make in life. And if you think about the roads and the paths and the journey you're on, it says if you will commit those ways to saying, God, I don't know why that happened or what's going on here, but I'm committed to find the purpose you might have for it. And it says your thoughts, your works, the, it's almost like fashioned in needlework. The way you're putting together your intentions and your thoughts and your actions, the way you put your works or your life together will allow your thoughts, your thinking, and your calculating to be established and to be stable. And I want you to find that in your life because I want to find that in my life. There's been many times, even as a follower of Jesus, I have begun to depend on my own calculating and my own managing and my own ability to, to solve a problem. And I'm a pretty darn good problem solver. But there's been times that I have thought that it's all up to me. And it took uh, pretty challenging circumstances to get me to the end of my own creative skills, my own problem-solving skills. And I remember uh, talking with a counselor several years ago as so I was going through hypervigilance counseling, and I realized I was believing that I could out-worry certain situations, out-control certain situations, out-manage certain situations. But I was trying to manage, and I was trying to outrun things that were bigger than me. Now, these were still skills I wanted to use, but they was unstable. I found myself just, it's all up to me, and i got to control things that are beyond my, my, my ability to control. But when I committed my works, my calculating and my managing to God, I was able to say, I'm going to do my part to manage what I can, to control what I can, to help what I can, but I'm trusting you with it all. And that moved me emotionally and mentally from unstable thoughts and planning to stable thoughts and planning and I began to live and learn. I, I got caught in that deja vu pattern for, for several years until I was able to find freedom and stability. And I want that for you. So how do we get from the won't stop believing to the don't stop believing? Well, let's start with the won't stop believing. It begins by examining and learning, really, the pains and the gains of what you won't stop believing. There's reasons why certain patterns continue. And usually it's because the gain in the short term is better than the pain in the long term. And that's why this ancient wisdom gives us suggestions, commandments, uh, advice on how to look at the pains of what you won't stop believing and how if you keep going down that path, it's going to be painful. Here's what it says in ancient wisdom. It says, the way of a fool, a deja vu person, is right in their own eyes. They always think it's a good idea. They're always right in their own eyes. But he who heeds counsel, the live and learn person, is wise. Another way to say it is a prudent person, a live and learn person, can see how if I keep going on this path, it's going to lead to danger. If we keep spending more than we make, we're going to eventually be in trouble. If we don't start saving now for our long-term plan, we're not going to have enough. And so a wise person, a live and learn person, says, wow, that path I'm on financially, relationally, my marriage, if I keep neglecting my marriage or not investing in my marriage the way I want, I'm not going to be having the kind of marriage at 25, 30, and 50-year anniversary I want. So a wise person begins to examine what it is they're believing and saying, that path leads to danger. I'm going to hide myself. I mean, I'm going to hide myself from that path and go a different direction. However, the the... The deja vu person, it says, they just keep going. I'm sure it won't happen to me. 
I'm sure I won't get hurt. They engage in what psychologists call magical thinking. I'm sure it'll all work out. Hasn't worked out for anybody else. Everybody else has scars from going down that path, but it won't happen to me. See, a prudent person foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and keep going. Now, it's easy to say, that's right, I've seen those people. But see, the problem is that person is in all of us. I've got a deja vu person in me, and so do you. And if you don't figure out those untruths, those half-truths that you won't stop believing, you're going to keep going down the path. So what are a few? I wrote down just a few, and there's plenty. But here's a few. It won't happen to me. I can stop at any time. How many folks have you met or interacted with or parented, and it was that won't stop believing? Won't happen to me. No, no, it's happened to everybody. It's going that bad. Oh, okay, let's try and fix that. Some of us have the won't stop believing, just play it safe, just don't rock the boat. We've never advocated for ourselves. We've all been held back by fear of insecurity because we deep down believe don't rock the boat, don't make them mad, whoever they are. And that belief that we won't stop believing is keeping us from going down paths that lead to better places. I don't need help. Only weak people need counseling. Do you hear it? I already know everything I need to know. There's not anyone who knows anything better about marriage or my own mental health than me. All right. I'm right most of the time. How many marriages would be better if one or both people would not believe they were right most of the time? Right? You can easily see, by the way, what your spouse won't stop believing. It's not what you won't stop believing. I have a good excuse. I should push their buttons. It's fun to push people's buttons. How many times have you been in a fight in the back seat and everybody's pushing their buttons? You're like, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. He pushed me. He's got on my side. Stop touching me, stop touching me. And you're like, stop pushing each other's buttons. But they won't stop believing it and doing it, will they? My spouse is blowing things out of proportion. I've got to win at all costs here. I'd rather burn out than rust out. Well, either way, you're out. There's hundreds of these. One of them is that we have unlimited time. We have unlimited time to think about the bigger questions of life. Is there a God and is there a purpose? Why am I really here for? I have unlimited time to make things right with my son or daughter or my brother that we haven't talked to for years. Maybe just that one. I won't stop believing. Maybe this week you were challenged with that. I think for many of us in Cincinnati, seeing that Bill's Bengals game reminded us you can be 24 years old, you can be in the best shape of your life, and we don't know that we have all the time in the world. And in a second, that belief that sits way down deep behind the scenes in all of our lives, I've got unlimited time, and suddenly in a moment, the whole priority of the world and a game and a city got turned upside down. And it won't stop believing of our culture is you don't pray, you don't pray out loud, and you don't pray publicly. As you know, uh, Drew, pray for him. He's a Bills fan. He's, uh, he's, he hasn't come around yet. But he was at that game. And at that game, you know, he took this picture. And all of a sudden, you saw people realizing, oh, my goodness, grown men, tough men crying, realizing someone we care about is about to die. He doesn't have unlimited time. It's been amazing to see our city come together and say, and there are things outside of our control and not invoking someone who might be in control of the things that are out of our control is actually not a very wise idea. Let's break out of this deja vu pattern of not inviting someone who can control the things I can't control into my life. Maybe you saw the ESPN host and his co-host who said, you know, we talk about thoughts and prayers. I don't know if we should do this. His host is like, do it, do it. 
And he prayed out loud. He prayed that God would heal and be involved in the situation. How about you? What will it take for us to look at and examine the things we won't stop believing? There's a, a practice done with corporations and, and C-suite level leaders, and it's called the Dickens Process. They reference it in a book called The Tools of the Titans, which is the habits of millionaires and billionaires. And, and the idea is to take the three ghosts, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, future, and kind of look at it through your life and through the life of your business. Christmas past, what are the things that you had to learn over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years that now you'd say, if only I knew then what I knew now, it wouldn't have been so painful. My scars itch. I used to believe that, you know what, if I give people too much, if I give people a lot of grace and I don't call them on their account, I don't have to have a tough conversation and fire somebody to be better off. It was like, well, that was painful, and we didn't fire that person sooner, and then the whole morale for the whole company, we lost other good people because we didn't deal with it. You went, those bad beliefs cause a lot of pain, and so I've had to change my beliefs for the present. But what are the current beliefs we have as an organization? Being too cautious, being too aggressive, that if we don't change those beliefs in the present, it's going to cause pain into our future. And to write out the potential pain that's going to come if you don't change certain patterns, change certain beliefs, and change certain trajectories. And that process, the Dickens process, helps people and organizations identify the won't stop believing patterns and beliefs that are holding them back and gives them the energy, oh my goodness, if we don't change, that's going to cause a lot of pain to make those changes. But really we've got to get to the Bible's perspective, which is the core of all of that is that won't stop believing patterns really come from a core idea that I already know everything I need to know. And the Bible has some really interesting ways of challenging on some word pictures in that. Here's some more ancient wisdom that really gets to the heart of the core behind that. The way of a fool or deja vu person is right in their own eyes. They're, they just think they know everything. But the wise heeds counsel. They, they, they want to hear other perspectives. They want to be pushed back and make sure they're not lying to themselves. Here's another way of saying it in ancient wisdom. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool, a deja vu person, rages. You know, people just lose their temper, speak their mind, or say it how it is. And everybody's like, whoa, that wasn't appropriate. The fool, the deja vu person, keeps doing that. Right? You saw it at your family reunion. You saw it at the Christmas gathering. Right? So you've got several relatives like that. And if you don't have a relative like that, you might be the relative other people are talking about. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. But the deja vu person rages, and they're self-confident. They know they did the right thing. They know that was the right thing to say. He says, no, a quick-tempered man, a deja vu person, it, it's, it's foolishness. So the question is, are you open to your own blind spots? Are you able to hear and, and examine your actions and the attitudes behind it? I mean, I am amazed at how shallow and insecure and ridiculous I can be. I know you're not, but I am. I can get angry. I can get upset. I can get jealous about the stupidest things. I'll give you the one, the dumbest one. About a year ago, we went out uh, fishing on this deep fishing thing. And I, I don't deep fish very often, but we went out as a family, and, and they had packed them in the boat. I mean, there's like 100 people on this boat all next to each other. Like, how much profit can we get? Like, there's a guy six inches from me and six inches from me fishing in the deep sea. We all have the exact same sardines. We poked them through the eye. It was really gross. And we put it into the water. And everybody literally is like line by line by line every 12 inches. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this fish. I'm working really hard. Listen to throw this thing in there. Like, you can't move anywhere. It's going to tangle the lines. But I'm working hard. Right? I'm worked hard. And I deserve to get a fish because I'm working so hard. 
And we waited like half hour, nothing, nothing. When then somebody like six feet ahead of me gets a fish. I'm like, they're like six feet. We're, we're all in the same spot in the ocean. How come they get a fish and I don't get a fish? I don't say any of this out loud because I'm a pastor. Hmm. C- congrats. <laughs> yes. Good for you. Uh, let's celebrate this guy. Got a fish. Well, then, and this is how I found it just how narrow and insecure I really am. Or angry, or maybe entitled is the word. If you work hard, life deserves to give you fish, I guess is what I won't stop believing. Because this little girl, she's like eight, she pulls up a fish. Her dad, like, oh my goodness, and she pulls this thing up. Why don't I get a fish? Oh, okay, good job, little girl. So she pulls this thing in, and it's this massive red snapper, just gorgeous thing. And I'm thinking, I'm jealous of a red snapper. What is wrong with me? And I can trace that silly example to so many times in my life. I think if I work hard and do my part, life, God, the universe owes me. And when I don't get what I'm owed, there's something wrong with God or the universe. As other times, I've found things where I've had to wrestle with. I have a tendency to lean toward being a pleaser. And so advocating has kind of for myself and others, and setting boundaries could be a challenge for me because sometimes I think you either nice and you don't set boundaries or your boundaries and you're mean. Well, neither one of those is true. But as a father of a special needs child, there have been situations where I've had to really advocate for my son. It's pushed me against that belief that you have to make everybody happy all the time, right? That sometimes you have to, in order to get stuff done, make some people uncomfortable to do the right thing. And to do that, I remember I had a situation with Quinn's school several years ago, and there was just some very, I've been kind, I've been tolerant, I kind of put up, put up, put up. Finally, something had happened that was just not right. And so I uh, tried to talk, tried to talk through the whole line of command. Nobody was listening, so I thought, okay, I need to really make sure they hear me. So I was talking to a lawyer friend of mine. He said, I said, what'd you do? I said, well, I found a law they were breaking, and I called up the attorney general's office. I thought, when you go into these kind of situations, you got to bring a grenade to a spitball fight. And I had the grenade. And they had the spitball fight. And they suddenly were ready to listen. In fact, the attorney general's office called me back and they said, Mr. Hoven, you should be a lawyer. Uh, we didn't know about that law. And that's exactly how it's applied here. And you're right, that's not what's happening here. Well, then I kind of flew the other side. I was so mad at them and angry at them. And I found anger taking over. And I had to kind of switch back and say, it's possible to treat people kindly and to advocate passionately. But it took a while to untangle some of those beliefs to figure out what it looks like to be wise and kind and set boundaries and advocate. It's true in our lives. How do we balance these things? One of our beliefs as a, as a church, for example, is that everybody helps out. It's powerful to see how that belief that everybody helps out, no one's uh, beneath serving or helping or, or, or coming alongside people, it got played out during our Christmas Eve service. In fact, it was an amazing journey. We had nine services this year, but the eighth service was particularly memorable. And if you're at it, you know why. And if you weren't at it, I'll tell you why. I was waiting with some friends that I'd invited, and they were a little bit late for that eighth service at 5 o'clock. So I was waiting at the front door. When all of a sudden, up our giant staircase, I saw the sprinkler begin to drip. Drip. So I walked over to Tony, one of our maintenance guys, hey, we got a drip. So he walks over, Brad comes down. It's now gone in that 10 seconds from drip to drip, 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 drip. Now it's pour like a faucet on coming down our stairs. We, it's a beautiful waterfall, by the way, if you can see it. Well, Brad runs over, and he's, catching this, he's about to catch this thing with a 50-gallon garbage can, and he's, he's there. All of a sudden, 
the entire sprinkler starts spinning around. And Brad's face was classic of all. We felt, oh. Now the service is going on in here. And here it's like, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Out there it's like, you know, I got river of life flowing out of me. I mean, that's what's going on in the atrium out there. Water's pouring down. And then we're like, well, that's right, you know. So now all of a sudden, everybody in the atrium immediately comes to help. Let's unplug things before the water gets there, push coats out of the way. There's a, there's a flood beginning to form, so people are sweeping up the flood. And then this happened. Let me show you the video. Just when we thought we could control everything, the fire alarms go off. Lights start flashing in this room. It's joy to the world. And please close your eyes because this might cause you know, seizures because of the lights going on during this room. We talk to the police officer, make sure we're okay in here. I run down to everybody. It's not a real fire, just a water pipe. We continue services. We had to continue the service with light blinking. And the police officer there said, I have seen many organizations have this kind of stuff happen, some kind of tragedy, unexpected and everybody backs off and says, it's not my job. But here I saw everyone, volunteers, many of you because it was so cold. Other people volunteered, multiple services to volunteer and invite people to come in. It was just amazing to see the spirit of not believing it's not my job, but really believing this core value of live and learn. You know, how can I help? How can I serve? And I just want to say thank you for the way you served. My friends came to that service first time in our church, and they said, it was a beautiful service. It was amazing to see your, your friends and your organization under pressure and how well they handled it. And we had lunch the next day and talked about the service. So thank you. Thank you for the way you serve around here. Thanks for the way you give around here. Thank you for all the way in which you encourage the great stuff God's doing. And it's that humility. The humility of, I don't yet know what I need to know. How can I help? How can I be part of that? But now let's move to the next group, the don't stop believing group, those live and learn people. How do we have that spirit as an employee, as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, that I don't yet know what I need to know to grow, to process what has happened in my life, to process what's going on with, how do I get to the place that I don't stop believing, that I don't yet know what I need to know to grow? Again, let's look at the Proverbs. What does the Proverbs say about this? It's just this ancient wisdom says, as a dog returns to his vomit, ugh, I've seen that in my cat growing up. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Deja vu. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? He's not open to other people's feedback. More hope for a fool than him. Deja vu. You see, when a deja vu person has the light of truth brought in their life, your boss gives you feedback, your spouse gives you feedback, your kids give you feedback, the deja vu person says, I'm not going to adjust my life to the light. The light's the problem. I got a mean boss. I got an insensitive spouse. I, I got an overly sensitive spouse. I got a rebellious son. And so whenever you bring light into the life of a deja vu person, they don't hear it because they just adjust the light to their life. He's talking to a guy at our church. He said uh, his wife had been bringing up over years. Maybe he was getting aggressively angry in an inappropriate way to the circumstances related to parenting or conversations they were having. He's like, you know what? I just think you're, you're coddling the kids and coddling the kids and coddling the kids became the won't stop believing. But he said it took extreme circumstances in my life for me to start going, maybe I'm wrong here. And a couple years ago, he said, man, I realized 
I need to be open to some truth about my parenting, about my spousing. And it's so improved our marriage. I know another person I was talking with, somebody else here at Horizon, and, and they were asking for advice, but no matter what advice you gave them, the answer was always, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, I can't do that. I can't do that. And you realize that the core of this person was a belief that they can't change, that they're a victim of their circumstances. So no matter what advice they ask for, no matter what solutions you give them, they were always going to ixnay it because they won't stop believing that they can't change. Versus if they, if they get to the place they don't stop believing, I can change, I can make a difference, God can work in me, truth can work in me, wisdom can work in me. <laughs> I was talking to a buddy this week. I said, hey, I was talking to your wife, and she told me that, this is the quote, we are talking about like it's hard to remember when you're 21, it's hard to remember way back when you were married for the first time, and she says, yeah, the only thing I remember from our honeymoon, I'm like, well, that's going to be good. The only thing I remember from our honeymoon is that Princess Diana died. <laughs> so say that again. The only thing you remember from your honeymoon is that Prince, so I called him up. I said, we got to talk about your marriage. Your wife told us the only thing she remembers about your honeymoon is that Princess Diana died. She, he said, well, did she tell you how braggadocious I was? And he says, we got to Mexico on the first day, and I had never been to Mexico. She had. She said, don't eat those celery and carrots because they've been washed in water and you'll get sick. He's like, I think I can handle some carrots and celery. He said, I had Montezuma's revenge for three days. He said, I had to live and learn how to maybe be a little more open that I don't know everything about the water in Mexico. See, that's the difference between a live and learn person. A live and, live and learn person comes to the light of truth from any source. Even your enemies give you critique. And you say, you know what, there might be something to learn here. Because when a live and learn person comes to the truth, you know what they say? How do I adjust my life to the light? What can I learn here? What can I grow here? How can I adapt here? Here's what the ancient wisdom says about that. Rebuke is more effective to a wise person a live and learn person, than a hundred blows to a fool. Boom, deja vu, boom, deja vu, boom. Whoa, haven't learned it yet. I was seeing an interview with Jonathan Cain. He said, you know, after seeing 80-plus kids in third grade die in a fire, I mean, how easy would it have been for him to have lived in survival's guilt his whole life? to be angry at God or dad's faith his whole life. But I'd be like, I get it. Man, that makes sense. He chose not to go down that path. He said that he just kept playing music and kept playing music and kept believing that God had a plan for his life. And, and it was amazing because he said he was selling stereo, <laughs> stereos, if you can imagine the time. He was driving his car selling stereos to people, and he'd done this song, and for the first time ever he heard his first song on the radio. He said he pulled over to the side and he just began to cry. It was just such a moment like, oh, my goodness, my song is on the radio. It was just amazing to him. He said, and then I opened up with a gig we were doing with the babies and somebody from Journey saw me and they heard that I could play guitar, play music, and, and wrote songs. So they called me up and they said, hey, do you want to be in Journey? Like, the group? It's like, yeah. I said, well, what do I audition? They said, no, we've already voted. You're already in if you accept 
So he comes into the uh, audition, and they're literally not just audi- audition, they're literally recording their first album. He got to record their first album instantly in the group, and he said it was just amazing, and that's when they need a final song on that track. And they said, do you have any more lyrics or songs we could put on this track? And that's when he started searching back through his life. The words his dad had spoken to him, the faith his dad had put in him, the wisdom he had heard from his father, don't stop believing, even when things felt against him. And he writes a song. In fact, when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he again looked back in time who he'd learned from. He talked about his grandfather, who was Russian, who uh, used to play the fiddle in the back hills of Arkansas or Louisiana, I can't remember which, and just how it was his grandpa's impact on music that just kept with him. I was just amazed to see how the humility of living and learning from your circumstances, from people around you, the humility he brought to be able to say, listen, I'll be a utility player for Journey, and just how God continued to bless him. So how about you? How can we be more live and learn and less deja vu? And how does Christianity uniquely help with this? Here's how Christianity uniquely helps us to be successful. I won't mend a belief if I have to defend a belief. We live in a culture today that says who you are is what you do and what you feel. And so no one can criticize what you feel about something because it's who you are. And so everyone's defensive about everything. Everything they feel about politics, everything they feel about economics, everything they feel about parenting. Everyone's defensive. They defend their beliefs because they are their beliefs. And everything they do, when I work, I can't take criticism because you're not critiquing my work, you're critiquing me. And that's why it is so hard to get out of the deja vu mindset. Christianity uniquely comes and breaks them apart. It says who you are is not what you do. It's a part of you, but it's not your core identity. And by the way, you've done a lot of wrong things, enough that God had to come and die for you on a cross. So what your spouse is bringing up and what your boss is bringing up and what your employees bringing up and what your parents brought up, that's probably one of those things Jesus died for. But because it's not you, you are loved for who you are despite what you've done. And you have a lot of feelings. Those feelings are good. Some are related to truth and some are not related to truth. But, but now all of a sudden you can apply truth to your feelings. You can apply rebuke to what you do. Because when you talk about my parenting, it's an important part of me. It's something I'm passionate about. When you talk about my art, it's something I'm passionate about. But it's not who I am. You see, you won't mend a belief if you have to defend of a belief. But if you realize that who you are is not what you do, and it's not what you feel, you can be open to feedback, open to rebuke, open to correction. That's why what Jesus offers uniquely creates humble people, confident people, passionate people, successful people, because they're humble people who are open to feedback. So, Let me summarize our two lists just down to two things. Won't stop believing. They never mend their beliefs. And don't stop believing. Let's look at the list. Next slide. Somebody who has to defend themselves, they won't stop believing. Rebuke is a personal attack on me. Can you believe what she said about my parenting? Can you believe what he said about my work ethic? Won't stop believing. Seeking help is for weak, lazy, or incompetent people. Deja vu people won't stop believing that. Deja vu, if you won't stop believing, I've got to defend myself, I've got to defend my actions, I've got to defend my beliefs. But I want you to don't stop believing. Don't stop believing that rebuke is good, it helps me grow, I can examine what I do because it's more than, it's more than who I am. Don't stop believing that seeking help is for strong, smart, discerning people who want to grow and expand and not be limited. 
don't stop believing that who I really am is defended, it's forgiven, it is valued because I am loved. And because I am loved for who I am, whatever I've done or whatever I believe that's not true, I can listen. I can be open. 